I don't know if people have just read the fact that, it, you know, uh, on, the, on the newsletter this morning it says that I was going to speak about peace, but suddenly everybody was praying about peace. So uh, that's always good to know, you know, it's obviously what you're thinking about too. Um, uh, but I'd like to start by asking you uh, a question. What do you think your perfect idea of peace is? You know, your perfect place where you would be at peace, yeah? Okay? Because for me, it looks, it's not very easy to see because of this light, but it looks like this, yeah? Right? My idea of peace is sitting somewhere, probably in a cottage in the middle of nowhere, with a decent, really nice cup of coffee, right, okay? Quite early in the morning, because uh, I've got up, you know, early in the morning to pray, really early to pray, <laughs> and just because <clears throat> I'm so spiritual. And I've already been up for two or three hours praying uh, before the sun rises. Um, and uh, looking out on this beautiful uh, mountain view, or maybe it's kind of more English, if that's your thing, you know, maybe kind of a nice country overlooking a lake, uh, you know, so maybe that's your idea of peace. Yeah? Okay, find it. That, if I want to find peace, I've got to go to that kind of place. Yeah? But the reality is that most of us spend time in places like this, okay? All right, hands up who goes to London. I'm, Daniel and I was in London this week, right, cramming into the tube, you know, and your face is up right next to somebody, yeah, and you're thinking to yourself, hmm, you know, find peace in this. My wife is... Um, <clears throat> Uh, she is uh, slightly claustrophobic and has a, uh, an irrational fear, in my opinion, of the tube. Yeah, right. So she does everything she can she can to avoid being on the tube. Anybody else in that situation? Yeah, Tim. Yeah, just hates it. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. It's it's not as easy to find peace in those kind of places. It's I tell you, as a father of three boys, it's particularly hard to find peace in this kind of place. All right. I, <clears throat> I did this earlier in the week, and I thought to myself, I'm just going to take a photo of my lounge, yeah? All right, because this is what my front room looks like a lot of the time, yeah? There's washing everywhere, the kids have just spread their toys, and you've just cleaned it up two minutes ago, right? Okay, and, you know, this is the thing, is our lives are chaotic. Our lives are full of busyness and difficulty, and we would love to spend time morning after morning waking up, looking out across beautiful views of mountaintops with beautiful cups of coffee in lovely places, but we don't live like that. We live in Eltham, right? Okay, we live in London, and London is busy and hectic and crazy, and so the challenge is for us as Christians is are we living like the duck, yeah? Now, somebody said we're meant to soar like eagles, not flap like chickens, right? And I'm going to use another bird analogy. Are you, fl- are you flap- paddling like a duck? Because I think we think that, you know, this is what peace looks like, right? That basically we're calm on the top, but underneath we're going crazy, yeah? And particularly, you know, we're English. We don't like to, you know, how, how's your week been? Good, good, yes. How you doing? Okay, yeah, good. You? Yes, I'm well, thank you, good, good. And you realise that week, you know, you got fired from your job and, you know, you crashed your car and, you know, and all of these things happened. Yeah, I'm good, I'm good. You know, and, and that's not... What Christian peace is meant to be about. It's not about looking good on the surface, but underneath frantically trying to do everything you can to hold it together. Christian peace, godly peace, is coming to a place of real peace, where you are calm, and you don't look, at one, look like one thing and be something else, but you are completely at peace in your life. And that's why this morning we're going to look at this whole idea of the Lord being our peace. 
So we're going to read the passage where this verse, uh, this word Jehovah Shalom, or God's name, is first used. Uh, and I'll be honest, I'm sorry I didn't put it into my slide, so we're going to just have to read it. Um, it's Judges chapter 6, verses 11 to 24. And uh, <clears throat> it's the story of Gideon. It's where we meet this man called Gideon, and we're going to pick it up where he first gets introduced in verse 11. Um, I'm sorry if you haven't got your uh, a Bible with you. Um, please get out your phone. Um, <clears throat> so let's read, shall we, together. Uh, now it says, uh, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah. I almost got that right, I reckon. Uh, which belonged to Joash uh, the Ibizarite. Yes. While his son Gibeon was beating, Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valour. And Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and has given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you will strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, And if I have found favour in your eyes, then show me a sign that is you who speak with me. But please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. And he said, this is the angel said, I will stay till you return. So Gideon went into his house and prepared a young goat and unleavened cakes from an ephah of flour. The meat he put in a basket and the broth he put in a pot. And he brought them to him under the terebinth and presented them. And the angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened cakes and put them on this rock and pour the broth over them. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of the staff that was in his hand and he touched the meat and the unleavened cakes. And a fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes. And the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. Then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. And Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace be to you. Do not fear, you shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is peace. To this day it stands at Ophrah, which belongs to the Abyssalites. I always struggle with those names, yeah? Okay. So what we see in this, uh, in this passage uh, is Gideon having an experience and an encounter with God. But before uh, we can kind of understand what this is, we need to understand where Gideon is coming from, what is the context in which this story is written. And the first thing we need to understand is that, is that the people of Israel had, uh, they'd sinned. Uh, it says that in the first verse I read, the people had greatly sinned. And they were under judgment. Uh, and they were uh, far from God. And God had essentially withdrawn his blessing from them. And so the first thing that we uh, know about these people at this time is that they were worshipping other gods. 
Okay, they were worshipping other gods. And uh, Gideon probably would have had idols in his home. Uh, they would have, we know just in the next section of this story, that the first thing that Gideon is asked to do is remove the big uh, idol to the god Baal. Uh, and so their whole community, their whole family would have been into worshipping other gods and other idols. So here's Gideon, who is uh, meant to be worshipping the one true God, and instead what we find is that him and his family are basically worshipping other gods. The second thing we see about Gideon is that they were oppressed and afraid. They were oppressed and afraid. He was uh, beating wheat in a wine press. This didn't really kind of occur to me until I actually read it. Right? He's beating wheat in a wine press. Right? You don't make wheat, you don't beat wheat in a wine press. Right? Right? You just don't do that. You make you, you sort of tread grapes in a wine press. Okay, and a wine press would have been a hole because obviously you needed to keep all of the, um, uh, you needed to kind of keep it hidden uh, and kind of press it all down and keep all the juices in. Whereas wheat you would have done in the open because you needed to beat it and you needed to let the wind blow through and take it off, uh, take all the, the chaff away. So the first thing we see about Gideon when we meet him is we can tell immediately that he's living in fear. He's living in fear because instead of beating wheat out in the open, they're doing it because they're so afraid that the Midianites are going to take all of their food, so they're doing it in secret. This was a people who were oppressed and afraid. The third thing we see about Gideon, we see in verse 13. Um, I'm just going to speed through these because it all, uh, all comes together in a moment. And we see in verse 13, And Gideon said to the angel of the Lord, Please, my Lord, if you're the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? He is angry at God. God turns up and says, I want to save you. And Gideon's first response is, Well, where have you been for the last seven years? Why have you just, you've just disappeared? You know, that's Gideon's response. And what we see in that passage is four times he tries to argue with the angel of God. He is annoyed, he's angry, he feels let down, he feels disappointed. And so we get this sense that, you know, there he is, they've been worshipping other gods, they've got themselves into all kinds of mess, they're living oppressed and afraid, they're angry at God, and their life, fourthly, has very little purpose and meaning. They are literally all about surviving. They are just literally about surviving. They are just, can we make enough food to literally feed ourselves? Can we just get through the day? Everything they had, if you were to read the beginning, uh, the previous chapter or the beginning of this chapter, you would see that the Israelites, everything they made, uh, the Midianites would come along and steal. Right, And so literally, imagine living like that. Every time you go to work, you earn £100 in a day and someone basically comes to the end of the day and takes £90 off you every single day. Right? You just think, what's the point? Their life had no meaning and no purpose. And this is why it was such a shock to him when the God turns up and says, I want to change all this. And lastly, what we see about Gideon is here's Gideon, a man of low self-esteem. Right? He has low self-esteem. Right? He doesn't think himself anything. Right? We see it, don't we? He is considered to be, uh, God turns up and says to him, you are a mighty man of valour. And he says, who? Me? Not me. You can't mean me, you must mean somebody else. You must mean, I am uh, the, 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 from the weakest tribe and the weakest family, and I'm the weakest one in my family, which basically makes me the weakest one in the whole of Israel. Yeah? And perhaps this morning, this is a bit of a picture of how your life is right now, or how you might feel. You think to yourself, 
You know, maybe I've not done the right things. Maybe I've not been following God how I should have been. Maybe I'm living in a kind of sense of fear and being afraid. Maybe I'm angry at God because of what's happened. Maybe I lack purpose and meaning in my life. Maybe I am suffering from low self-esteem. And you maybe feel beaten down, broken, and you may be asking yourself the question, how did things get this bad? Because if we're lacking peace in our life, that's how we'll feel. We'll feel this sense, much like Gideon did. Here was a man who probably had no sense of real peace. And so in order to find peace, the first thing that we have to do is have an encounter with the God of peace. We have to have an encounter with the God of peace. We cannot find peace, we cannot know peace until we have an encounter with the God of peace. And so this is what happens in this story. An angel turns up one day, Gideon's just going about his normal business, struggling to get through every single day, and an angel turns up. And uh, what we know about the Old Testament is this was probably uh, Jesus in some form, as it talks about the angel of the Lord. And if you want to discover peace in your own life, you have to have an encounter with the God of peace. Now, what does it mean to have an encounter with God? Well, the first thing is always, there's always two phases to every encounter with God. There's always two phases. The first is this, is that an encounter with God exposes you for who you really are. An encounter with God faces you up with what a failure you are, with what a fraud you are, and how foolish you are. Right? That's exactly what happened to Gideon. He is suddenly bored, and we see it. Let's, uh, let's turn to that section just so we're really clear what I'm talking about. But Gideon suddenly realised, it said, the angel of the Lord vanishes in verse uh, 21. The angel of the Lord vanished from his sight, verse 22. Then Gideon perceived it was an angel of the Lord. And Gideon said, alas. It was like, oh no. Oh dear. Oh, Lord God, I've now seen the angel of the Lord face to face. And you could tell he's thinking, I am done for. And when you have an encounter with God, it will bring you face to face with who you are. And that is what Gideon needed. And every single great hero of the Bible has had to go through this experience. Yeah, whether it was Joseph in the pit, whether it was Moses who killed uh, an Egyptian and found himself in the wilderness wandering around until God shows up burning in the desert, whether it's Jacob wrestling with God, whether it's Peter denying Jesus, whether it's Paul on the Damascus Road, every single man and woman of God that wants to go through with God has to have an encounter with God. And it's in that encounter, the first thing that happens in an encounter with God is that you realise, oh dear. Because you realise that God knows exactly what you're like. He knows, Gideon realises, oh dear, we've been worshipping false gods. I've just been angry and arguing with God. What was I doing? What a fool was I? Yeah, what kind of wally was I? You realise I'm useless. What can I do? I've got nothing. I've got no power. He had no self-esteem. He had no value. He had no purpose. And in encounter with God says... Yeah, that's all true. And that is often why people do not go through with God because they are not prepared to go through that kind of encounter. Because let's be honest, who really wants to face up to themselves? I don't. Because when I really allow God to look at my life, I realise that, you know, I'm trying to put a veneer on it. 
But you see, what also happens is there's always a second phase with the encounter with God. And this is what's so wonderful about an encounter with God. An encounter with God never ever leaves you in that place where you feel wretched because as he encountered here, God shows up and he said, what does he say to him? The first thing the angel says after he says, oh no, what a mess I'm in. The first word that he says is what? Peace. Shalom. Because you come to an encounter with God where God reveals himself to you as I am peace. I am peace. All of the stuff, God, you, God, you realise that God knows exactly what a mess you are. God knows what a failure you are. And even though he knows what a mess you are, you know what a mess you are, God doesn't give you at this point what you deserve. He gives you peace. And when we come to that encounter, we realise that God's not angry at us. Right, That God is not out to get us. That despite the fact that we've let him down, his heart towards us is peace. And you cannot go and discover God's peace in your life or find a place of peace until you have an encounter that shows you God is peace. When you realise that God's heart towards you is peace. When God knows what you're like and says to you, peace, peace, peace. Amen. And I'm going to say this uh, at this point. One of the things that I'm not an expert in Greek, uh, Greek, Hebrew. Um, There's people here that are much better at this stuff. But there's a significance about the word shalom. There's a significance about the word shalom. See, peace, we have, at the moment, we are currently at peace with North Korea. Currently, we are at peace with North Korea, are we not? Yeah, right? But the truth is, is we know that's not real peace, is it? That's not peace. Yeah, we're technically at peace with Iran, but we're not really at peace. We're not at one with them, right? Peace is not just the absence of conflict. In the Bible, when God talks about shalom, it doesn't just mean an absence of conflict. It means a wholeness or a completeness. And it's tied up with a word that means perfection, right? Now, I'm not perfect, but to come into a sense of being made whole, being made complete, being made perfect. That sense, I, I don't know if, I always remember once after, um, <clears throat> uh, it, was the, it was the last day of the, the summer, uh, the last day of the school term and it was the summer was coming. I'd got home and it must have been about three o'clock because you always get out early on the first day of school and it must, I must have been about 15 at the time. I remember it still stood in my window thinking six weeks <laughs> of pure peace. And that sense, anyone had that feeling of just feeling complete? Of just feeling like, yeah, Mmm, the world is good, yeah? That is that sense of being complete and whole. And that's why it's not just God of, of absence of conflict. It's God that comes to make you whole. God that comes to make you complete. So, in order to experience a... Uh, my iPad's just shut down up. But God just doesn't want to reveal himself as the God of peace. He wants to give you the peace of God. And you see, you cannot know peace. You cannot know the peace of God until you have first understood that God is the God of peace. But yet we know, some of us know that God has peace towards us. We know that God loves us. We know that God has covered our sin in Jesus Christ. And yet we're still living in a really unpeaceful place. Yeah, we're really struggling to find the peace of God. And I'd like to challenge you this morning, all right? Are you restless with God, right? 
are there areas in your life where you are not living at peace? And so I have come up with, right, okay, much like a, uh, a quiz. I would love to have given you out a quiz where you score yourself one to four. No, 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 sorry, sorry. So I just shut my phone down. So, well, my PowerPoint's gone funny. Um, <clears throat> never mind. Right, so if you were to have a score and you were to get a little tick sheet, yeah, and you were to give yourself one for never, two for occasionally, three for often, or four for daily, I would like you to inwardly score yourself on, on my test of rest, yeah? My test of restlessness, right? One, sin, right? You will not find your peace with God or the peace of God if you are finding that sin is a daily or often occurrence. Yeah, whenever there is sin, there can never be the peace of God because you will always feel out of relationship with God. Okay? So that's the obvious one. What about stress? Yeah? How often do you feel stressed? Yeah? I'll be honest, right? Okay, I've got three kids, yeah, okay, I, and uh, we had uh, some, some family over on Friday night, my dad was there, my uncle and my aunt were there, and uh, the kids were just so loud, right, okay, and they were mental, and they were jumping up and down, and they were spinning, and, we, and I was just thinking, like, these people must think our parenting skills are just dreadful, which I'm sure they are, but, you know, you know and you're just thinking, and you're getting more and more stressed, but we shouldn't have to be stressed, we don't, stress is not something that is, a, it is natural, but it isn't spiritual, yeah? And if you're finding that every day you're living up here in stress, right, you are not living in the rest and the peace of God. Sorry to tell you that, okay? All right? Uh, what about this? Super speed, right? <clears throat> uh, I, when I find myself out of rest, right, with God, I start to try and speed up, right, I don't know if you, I've got to get this done, and you've got yourself a massive list, and you're like, got to get this done, no time for that, can't have time to talk to this person, got to move on to the next thing, got to move on to the next thing, have you ever met people that are really out of rest, they're trying to move at supersonic speed, right, they've never got time for everything, anybody, or anything, and, in, and there's a phrase, isn't there, I can never remember, is it, it's, it's less speed, more haste, or less haste, more speed, I can't remember, but this idea of people just rushing round, and if your life is one of just you rushing from place to place to place to place all the time and feeling like you've got to get everything done immediately, right? That's, do you know what it is? It's when something comes up and you, you get a text message and you think, I've got to deal with that right now. If that's your reaction, yeah, you are not living in the place of peace. I'm just telling you for truthful experience because this is what happens to me, right? Okay, when I'm at rest, I can get your text message and just ignore it, Okay. <laughs> All right? Okay. So if I don't answer, it's because I'm at rest with the Lord. Yeah? When I'm not, right, I probably pick up the phone and try and sort it out straight away. What about this one then? Self-defence. And I'm not talking about Mark's karate self-defence class, right? When I am at peace with God, you can have a go at me and I'll be like, all right, okay, fair enough. Right? When I'm not at peace, believe me, you will get a sharply worded email returned to you. Yeah? Okay? You ever had that experience at work? Right? Something goes wrong. I was away a couple of weeks ago and something went wrong and, um, and, and it looked like it was my fault and it actually turned out it was my fault. Right? <clears throat> but I didn't think at the time it was my fault. All right? <clears throat> um, but I immediately wanted to write, uh, write this long email defending myself and explaining why that wasn't that and they'd read the email wrong and it was there. You know? And it was this urge. You know what I mean? The urge to defend yourself, to prove to everybody that you're, you know, you've got it right. When you're at rest, when the peace, when you're experiencing the peace of God in your heart, that will not be your experience. Your experience will be like, fine, 
If you want to think that about me, that's okay. Right? Because, why? Because you've encountered the God of peace. Right? And you realise that it doesn't matter if you're not very good at your job. Right? Really. Because the Lord loves you anyway. That's what I keep telling myself every day. <laughs> <laughs> um, what about self-absorption? Right? Self-absorption. You know, the, when I'm not at peace with God, I find that I want to talk about myself all the time. Right? Okay? That my thoughts primarily focus on me, right? Literally, that's what I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about me, right? I might get down and I'm praying, Lord, let me just tell you why I need to tell you all the things I need to tell you about me, right? Okay, when I'm at peace with God, I don't find that I think about myself very much, honestly. So if you this morning woke up and you got up and prayed and, you know, 95% of your prayer time was, Lord, me, 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 I want to challenge you. Are you at rest? If you're saying to yourself on this list, yeah, that's happening pretty much daily, you're not at rest. If that's happening often, you're not living in rest. You're not living in the peace of God. I, I, I did, to be honest, I had loads and loads of S's, but I realised that it was getting too, so I had to quit with the S's, all right? I really wanted to have all these S's. What about this motor mouth, right? Okay, I, those of you that know me well will know that when I'm not at peace, I talk, Right? Okay, I talk a lot anyway, but if you get me and I'm feeling a bit stressed, I will just, it goes like verbal diarrhea, yeah, okay? And you're sat in a meeting, and I don't know if you've had this experience, right? You're sat in a meeting and people are talking, and you just feel the need to sort of give your point, right? I mean, I'm an extrovert, so I feel the need just to talk, right? And when I'm not at rest, and I'm thinking, I don't even know what I'm saying, but I've just got to say something, <laughs> right? <clears throat> Now, I'm conscious that if you're not an extrovert, you're the other way around. It may be the complete opposite, right? It actually may be that you can barely speak at all, right? If you're an introvert, you may find that when you're not at rest, your mind is going so fast that you can't actually articulate anything, yeah? And that your mouth doesn't seem to work. You can't say what you're feeling. You can't say what you're thinking because your mind and your heart are going so fast you can barely pick anything of your thoughts and put them together into a sentence, I said that very fast, didn't I? <laughs> when you're at peace with God, you'll feel the need to speak or not speak as it feels right. What about this? Dissatisfaction. Right? It's not a Rolling Stones song, yeah? Right? Can't get no satisfaction, right? I, I want to ask you a question. Are you satisfied with your life? Are you satisfied with where you are at the moment? Do you feel like maybe you could have accomplished more in your life at this point? Are you reaching that kind of midlife crisis phase and looking in and thinking, is this all I've done in my, you know, 21 years that I've spent, you know? <laughs> you know, are you, are you thinking to yourself, you know, I wish I'd, you know, I just, this isn't right and that isn't right and I wish this was different, I wish that was different. If you're saying, I feel that on a daily basis or I feel that often, I mean, occasionally there's always going to be times when you think, oh, really, is this all I've ever accomplished? And then you have to get before the Lord and, you know. But if this is an, a regular, often occurrence, you are not living and experiencing the God of peace in your life. Because when you realise that God loves you, you realise that God loves you as you are. Not for what you can do, right? Or for what you've done. Like Gideon had been a complete failure. He hadn't done anything. He was hiding away. He was afraid. He was a nobody. And God said to him, you're a mighty man of valour. 
You don't need to be dissatisfied. If you're scoring high on that thing, you're not at rest. And this is the last one, ants in your pants, right? Okay, you've met people, right, that cannot sit still, right? This is a really physical thing, right? I'm telling you, when I'm not at rest, I'm up, down, round, yeah, all right? Maybe it's on your phone. I tell you, if you're, I, when I'm at rest, my phone can stay somewhere else. When I'm not at rest, my phone's out and I'm checking my email, I'm checking this, I'm checking that. Yeah, because my heart is not at rest, I'm not experiencing the God of peace. If you're finding that you cannot sit still, right, for more than two minutes at a time, then you're probably not at rest. You're probably not at rest. So, I just want to challenge you this morning. Are you experiencing the peace of God? The Jehovah Shalom, which comes and brings you to a place of being at calm at being at rest. Well, you might be asking me, well, yeah, Tim, all right, okay, maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm looking at that tick list and I've scored pretty highly on every single one. I know that my life is a challenge. And I think there are many... Do you know what? I think that the lack of peace is probably the biggest problem that this world has, right? Wars are fought over it, okay, because people feel that there's no peace in their heart. Arguments in families happen because of it. You know, people fall out with one another at jobs because of it, right? You know, people are trying to strive for this and trying to do that because they're not at a place of peace in their life. And I think Christians, we can think, well, you know, we know the God of peace, therefore it's all okay, but we live in like we're so restless. We're living in such a restless place. Well, how do we come into this place of knowing that God is not just... uh, the God of peace, but knowing the peace of God, knowing the shalom of God in our lives. I'm now going to have to click past all those again. Well, this is where it starts. It's an issue of love. It's an issue of love. It really is about how much love you're giving to something, right? Now, let me explain it. Margaret's looking at me like, what are you talking about, Tim? Right? What's love got to do with peace? Well, this is what it has to do with it. Is the thing that you love the most will be the thing that dictates how much peace you have in your life. Right? Now, peace comes because we can control things. Right? When I know, right, that the kids are asleep, finally, thank you, Jesus. Yeah? All right? And I know that I've just sat down on the, you know, for half an hour at, you know, 9.45 for 15 minutes before I've got to go to bed. Yeah? I can suddenly, like, the the world is calm. I'm in control at that point. And so I can feel peace or calm to some extent because I'm in control. The problem is peace is dictated to the amount of control you have. The more, the, the less control you have, the less peace you have. Right? The less control you have, the less peace you have. Right? What do I mean by that? If you can't control something, you will expend more and more energy to try and bring it under control because we need to feel like it's, you know, we know what's going to happen and that brings us peace. That's how peace, that is, that is essentially how it works, right? Okay, what do I mean by that? Okay, well, if you love, if the thing that you love the most is your family, right? Okay, let me tell you something about your family. You may love your family absolutely much. There's nothing wrong with loving your family. But if, the, if your family is the thing that's most important to you in the whole wide world and all your love is going towards it, let me tell you that you cannot control your family. You cannot control whether or not one of them is not going to get sick tomorrow. 
Well, one of them's not going to, you know, have some tr- terrible accident. We, you know, how do we know that, you know, the kids aren't going to fall out or something bad's going to happen? I can't control that. And so you see, if all of your love is directed towards something you can't control, you're setting yourself up to live in a place where you lack peace because you can't control it. Right? And so the problem is, is that therefore you're looking and saying, well, God, I need God to help me have a good family life so that therefore I can be at peace. I need to be successful in my job to earn enough money so that my family can go on holiday and then I'll be at peace. Virtue. What do I mean by virtue? I mean the goodness. You know, I'm a good person. You know, I do well. I'm a good person. I'm a moral person. I've got to be a good person and a moral person so that my family is a happy place and a good place because my, my, hap- my, uh, my love is in my family. But ultimately, there's no peace there. There's no peace in that place because you cannot control that. What about success? So you say success is the thing you love. Well, let me tell you, you've got a great job. You're doing really well at your job. You're earning loads of money. People say you're fantastic. What happens? There's a stock market crash. You know, there's a redu- everyone gets made redundant. You suddenly lose your job and you've got nothing. You can't control it as best as you would love to. There's, you cannot control how successful you'll be. Right, Jim, I, I'm disappointed that Jim's not here because I like to take the mickey out of Jim, right? Jim used to do, Jim, Jim was brilliant, as I understand it, at filmmaking, right? Yeah, like making films, yeah? The trouble is, as good as Jim is, he's now rubbish. He's now useless, right? Why? Because nobody gets print film made like that anymore, do they? It all went digital. Nothing to do with Jim. It wasn't Jim's fault. Jim didn't do anything wrong, but Jim's not going to be successful at filmmaking anymore because nobody does it. You cannot control how successful you are. You might put all your, and the more energy you put into it, the less and less peace you have. And you're saying to God, God, help me be successful. You're saying to your family, you've got to help me be successful. You're saying, I've got to use my good and my virtue and my rightness so so that I can, you know, I can be, my love is for my success. And what about this? This, you know, some of you just thinking, I'm not bothered about that. I just want to be a good person. You know, I just want to be a good person. I want to just, you know, be a a, a happy, good person uh, who does the right thing. Well, that's great until you make a massive old error. Until you, and let's be honest, we're all human. You might think you can control that, but what happens? You can never control circumstance. You do not know what's going to happen when you walk out of these doors. None of us do. We might think that we're going home to the Sunday roast, right? If only, right? Okay. We might wish that, but we've got no guarantees of that. So if we love anything else other than God, right, we are putting our trust into something which we cannot control and we cannot be certain of, and so we will always find ourselves in a place where we lack peace. All right, I'm sorry if this is a bit complicated, but I just think it's so important. All right, I really think it's important because this is a, this is a, a, a quote which I read, and I'm going to use the word immutable. Anyone know what the word immutable means? The word immutable means changeless. You see, the thing about God is that God is unchanging. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God never, ever changes, right? God's attitude towards you will never change. God's heart towards you will never change, right? God, the way God acts or what God does will never change. So when your love is all about God, you're putting your confidence and your peace in a God that never changes. So everything else can change, but your love for God, for God doesn't. And so you can hang on something which doesn't move. Do, do you understand? 
And the, the amazing thing about putting your trust into something that doesn't change is that even if you get, um, even if uh, something bad happens in your family, or something bad, ha- bad happens with success, or something bad happens with virtue, instead of getting less of your family or less of your, you get more of God. So what do I mean by that? Well, so say for example, you make a big mistake. You discover that there's more forgiveness and there's more love. If you realise that you lose your job and you don't know, you realise that God provides and you realise that God gives you more. That if, even if things, dreadful things happen in your family, you discover that God is a God of love and God is there and God's underneath you. And so when you're building your life on God, when your whole love is set on his glory and his purposes, it doesn't matter what else happens because you realise that God is the thing that really you're hanging on and so everything else just leads you to have more of him, more of his presence, more of his love. And the challenge to us this morning is if you want to know the God of peace and the peace of God, your love and your whole heart has to be devoted to him. If your love is in anything else, it is based on something which you cannot ultimately control and so will always put you in a position where you lack peace. Where you're always on a slightly unstable fan. You're always working to try and hold it all together, to spin the plates, to juggle the balls. Whereas when you put your trust wholeheartedly in God and all your love into God, you will never, ever, ever be disappointed. Amen. And this is the thing about the God of peace, is that he is unchangeable. This is what St. Augustine says. God alone is the place of peace that cannot be disturbed. And he will not hold himself from your love unless you withhold your love from him. God himself is the place of peace. If your love is solely directed on him, you will discover that God is the God of peace. But this is what's really wonderful about peace. We discover that the Lord is peace. But we also discover that the Lord is my peace. The Lord is my peace. And this is what's so wonderful, you know. Here's here's something you can write down. Peace is not a feeling. It's a person. Peace is not a feeling, it's a person. And this is what's so wonderful about the gospel. You know, there's Buddhism and all of these other religions and all of these kind of, you know, yoga or whatever it is that, you, that people try and do to find inner peace. They're trying to obtain something, a feeling. It's out there. But what's so amazing about the gospel is that peace isn't out there. Peace is in here. Peace comes to live within us. Let's look at the scripture. It says in John chapter 14, he's talking about the Holy Spirit here. This is Jesus talking about the Holy Spirit. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace, this is the Holy Spirit, I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let, your hearts, uh, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And this is what's so wonderful about the peace of God. It's not some idea or some thought. It's a person. And it's coming and allowing Jesus to live in your heart because you might want to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul and your mind. But let me tell you, without Jesus living in you, it's impossible. You can try as you like. You're not going to be successful at it. And this is what the Lord wants to bring you into again this morning. If you are experiencing a sense of restlessness in your soul, if you're thinking, I wish I had this, this isn't right, that's not right, I'm unhappy about this, what you need this morning is the God of peace to come and live within you. 
And you need to make more space for him to come and live within you. You need to give him more control. You need to put him front and centre. And I know this has been said every week for the last 35 years from this pulpit, but it doesn't make it any less true. And it doesn't make it any less relevant today. If you are struggling with God, what you need to do is to discover that God is not only peace towards you, but wants to be peace in you. And I love this phrase here, because this is how I, I think it's best. It says, if you've then been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above. This is what I was talking about. Set your hearts and your love on the things that are of God, not on the things of this earth. For you have died, and this is the key, your life is hidden with Christ in God. Your life is hidden. When Christ, the God of peace, comes to live within you, all right, when God, when the, when the, when, I've lost my train of thought there. When the God of peace comes to live within you, it's like being hidden. And I want to show you this picture. Any of us ever done a safari? Right? When your life is hidden in God, it's like being in the car, right? None of us are going to want to get out of that car, are we? Let's be honest, right? Okay? And life can be much like that. Right, Life is full of things that are all around you that want to harm you, cause you problems, make your life difficult, tear you apart. But if you are hidden in Christ Jesus, it's much like going on a safari and being in the car. The lions can walk right up to the window and you can just wave at them. Yeah, You can stroke their faces Yeah, because there's a nice glass wall between you. Right? Your life is hidden with Christ Jesus. This is what it means to know the peace of God. It's not peace out there, it's peace in here. It is peace in here. So as we come to a, a close this morning, I want to ask you a question. Are you living in an experience of the God of peace? Is that how your life is kind of working itself out? Do you know the God of peace? Have you had an encounter with the, pe- the God of peace? Have you allowed God to work so much in you and so fill you with the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ that you can literally be like walking, driving through the middle of all kinds of chaos and you think, I'm at peace. You know, we often think, don't we, that the the Christian life is a bit like a mountain. You know, you climb up, you go down. You go up, you go down. And often in many aspects of the Christian life it is. But let me tell you, peace is not like that. Once you get into a place of peace, it is possible to remain in that place of peace. We've got some friends, many of you will know them, Tom and Joe. You know Tom and Joe? Right? Now, the thing about Tom and Joe, right, hopefully they won't listen to this, right? Tom and Joe are quite full on, right? Okay? They're quite like full on for Jesus, right? And I, I love that about them, right? And many of you who know Joe will know that she's, she's only in her mid 30s and she's got breast cancer. And she's now right in the middle of chemo. Uh, and she has lost all her hair, yeah? She jokes that she looks a bit like, right, said Fred, yeah? Okay? But do you know what gets me about that, right? Is that they are the same as they were before it happened. They're the same. They're, they're still, you know, super pumped for G. And they're not pretending. They're not trying to... Because the thing is, is they're, they're, their love is not based in their family. Because if it was based on their family, what happens if bad things happen to Joe? Would Tom be devastated? But because his love's in Jesus, it's an opportunity for more. I, do you know what? I love Margaret's testimony. That would have been just as good as my sermon, right? Okay, saved us a lot of time, right? But the thing is, is that what Margaret's experiencing is that the lack of Jim 
is creating more opportunity for, for Jesus. And that's the thing. When your love and your hope is in Jesus, a lack of something just creates more of God. A lack of something creates more of God. Whereas if it was all in Jim, a lack of Jim would be a lack. You'd be thinking, oh no, I just miss him so much. Oh, it's terrible. She'd see her, she's out every night drinking. <laughs> this morning, the Lord wants to bring you into a place of meeting God of peace, of experiencing shalom in your life. And if you this morning have never ever given your life to Jesus Christ, this morning is your opportunity. If you know that you've been wrestling and messing and you know that your life, you've been following other things and you feel angry at God and all those things, it's okay. Because the Lord your God wants to meet with you this morning, face to face. And so we're just going to, I don't know what we'll do, Let's say, I'd like us to have a time of worship, and if you know that there's areas in your life where you're not at peace, and you need the Lord to come in, I just want you to open your heart to him this morning and confess that, and say, Lord, I'm running around like a headless chicken, I'm paddling away like a duck, frantically under the surface, and I want to stop this morning. I want to walk out of this place in a place of calm and peace. I want to know that my life is hidden in Christ Jesus. Let's pray, shall we? Let's stand and pray. Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is peace. Lord, this morning we haven't tried to look too much at the practices of peace. Do this and that and the other. Lord, we tried to look at the principles of peace. And the principles are really simple. Lord, we need to encounter you and allow you to show us who we really are and show us that you love us and that you are peace towards us. Lord, and we need to come into this place of of being filled with the God of peace because peace isn't a feeling, it's a person. And Lord, I pray this morning, if there is anybody, and there are, I am confident, without fail, because maybe I'm the only, well, I'm sure I'm not the only one, Lord, who goes through regularly times where I just feel out of peace with God. If this morning there are people in this room that are out of peace with God, this morning the Lord says, come back to me. Let me live in you again. I believe the Lord is just saying to you, just set your whole love onto me. Go after me completely and you will find peace. Lord, we can try and find other things for peace here. We can try and do this and that and the other. But the only way that we know peace is to set our whole love and our whole heart on Jehovah Shalom. And thank you that it's not just this peace of an absence of conflict, but Lord, it is you bringing us into a place of completeness in our heart and our life, Lord. And you, I just want to really lift up this lovely people to you this morning and pray, you, would you send us out, Lord, walking calmly, calmly in our spirit, Lord. Lord, not rushing, not dashing, not fretting, but just being at peace because we know and we've encountered the God of peace. Lord Jesus, we love you so much. Lord, would you move on your people this morning? Lord, as we worship, Lord, we respond to you. I just want to encourage you, as we're worshipping, if you know that you need to respond to the Lord this morning, I want you to do something that's really as simple as just put your hand in the air. Put your hands in the air. Even if it's just, you know, low down, because you're a bit afraid to stick them in the air. 
But you just look, just open your heart, and it's a physical expression by lifting up your hands, opening your hands and saying, Lord, would you come and just come and be peace in my life again? 